Thank you for joining us for another lesson from God's Word. The West Huntsville Church of Christ at Providence is located at 1519 Old Monrovia Road, Northwest, Huntsville, Alabama, 35806. Anytime you're in the Huntsville area, we hope you'll stop in and be part of our worship. Sunday morning worship is at 9 o'clock, with Bible class immediately following. Sunday evening worship is at 5. Midweek Bible study is held Wednesdays at 7. Okay, if you will turn to Luke chapter 7. Luke chapter 7. This morning we're going to be looking at the lady who washed Jesus' feet with her tears and her hair. Now, though uh, she will be the main character we're looking at, there are three people who are involved in this narrative, and we'll look at each one of them and uh, take a look at their perspective and their role in this narrative. Let's begin with verse 36. Then one of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him, And he went to the Pharisee's house and sat down to eat. And behold, a woman in the city who was a sinner, when she knew that Jesus sat at the table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of fragrant oil and stood at his feet behind him weeping. And she began to wash his feet with her tears and wipe them with the hair of her head. And she kissed his feet and anointed them with the fragrant oil. Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he spoke to himself saying, This man, if he were a prophet, would know who and what manner of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus answered and said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. So he said, Teacher, say it. There was a certain creditor who had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii, and the other fifty. And when they had nothing with which to repay, he freely forgave them both. Tell me, therefore, which of them will love him more? Simon answered and says, I suppose the one whom he forgave more. And he said to him, You have rightly judged. Then he turned to the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I entered your house... You gave me no water for my feet, but she has washed my feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head. You gave me no kiss, but this woman has not ceased to kiss my feet since the time I came in. You did not anoint my head with oil, but this woman has anointed my feet with fragrant oil. Therefore I say to you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. For she loved much. But to whom little is forgiven, the same loves little. Then he said to her, Your sins are forgiven. And those who sat at the table with him began to say to themselves, Who is this who even forgives sins? Then he said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. This narrative is familiar, I'm sure, to most all of us, but uh, I don't know that we spend a lot of time talking about this lady, and so that's what I would like to do this morning. 
I want to look first of all at Simon the Pharisee. He invited Jesus to his house, believing him to be a prophet. I don't know if he had intention of testing Jesus as a prophet, but he believed that Jesus was a prophet, evidently, from what he said about Jesus not knowing who or what manner of woman this was who was touching him. I think it's probable that he invited this woman to his house as well. When I first read through this, I got the impression that she came in the house after uh, Jesus was already seated at the table and she found out that he was eating at Simon's house, so she came to the house But then as I read down and I read about her kissing his feet, Jesus said, she's not ceased to kiss my feet since I came into the house. So it appears that she was already there. I believe that probably only those who were invited to the house would have been there or at least invited into the house. I don't know that all houses were like this, but if you remember when Peter was in prison in Acts, I've forgotten to look that up, but I think it's chapter 5, chapter 4 or 5. Peter was in prison and he was miraculously released from prison and he went to the house of the mother of John Mark and he knocked on the door. A servant came to the door and and saw that it was Peter and she went back in and told them who was there and they couldn't believe that it was him. But then they had to go out and they opened the door to let him in. I don't know that all houses were that way, but I would suspect they probably were similar to ours. Not just anybody would be walking into our house, coming into our house. They would come in by invitation, especially if we had prepared a meal, a special meal for uh, someone. They would be there by invitation. So I believe this was a lady that Simon knew. It's obviously he, it's obvious he knew about her And there was something about her that was different than we normally would see. This, well, he refers to her as a sinner. It doesn't tell us what kind of sin she was involved in. This word means just one who is overtaken by a sin, who is uh, given to that sin constantly. But with his reference to touching Jesus and the way that he talks about her, it appears that his reference is to her being a harlot. And if you look up the definition of the word sinner there in some of the Greek lexicons and things, uh, some of them will make reference to the fact that sometimes this word was used as a polite way of referring to a woman as a harlot. The Bible uses the word harlot and harlotry many times throughout the Bible. But this was not the way that Simon referred to her in this instance. 
As we look through the Bible, we find that generally there is an attire that is worn by a harlot. If we look back to Tamar, when she uh, was promised to Judah's third son after his first and second sons had died and not given children to Tamar, and Tamar was to be given to his third son, and he told her, well, you go home and you... uh, Wait, and then when my third son is old enough, uh, I'll give him to you, and he can raise children to my oldest son. But the time came that he, he was old enough, and we read that Tamar put away her clothes of grief. She put on a veil, and she went out by the road and was as a harlot, there And when Judah passed by and saw her, he thought she was a harlot. And I think it's interesting in one of the ways that it says that because she had her face covered. He didn't know who she was, but he thought she was a harlot because she had her face covered. We're going to talk about that a little bit later. But this lady who is in Simon's house at this time evidently did not wear the attire of a harlot at this time. Because had she done that, Simon wouldn't have said, well, this man, if he were a prophet, would know what kind of woman this is. Because her attire would obviously have given it away. Jesus would know, everybody would know from that what kind of woman this was. So I believe that Simon knew this woman and he knew what her life was about. In talking about Simon, Simon was a sinner himself. He talked about this woman as a sinner. But Jesus, when he answers Simon toward the end there, and he says, Simon, I got something to say to you. And Simon says, say it. He tells of a certain creditor who had two people who owed him a debt which they could not pay. One of them owed 50 denarii, the other owed 500 denarii. Simon was this person represented by this person that Jesus talked about who owed 50 denarii but wasn't able to pay it. He was still a sinner. But he looked at this woman as someone far worse than he was. And Jesus in his parable, if you will, says she's like someone who owes 500 denarii, where you only owe 50. But the fact is, Simon was a sinner as well. As he viewed this woman as someone who was far worse a sinner than he was, it appears that he probably would not have been willing to be touched by her in public because he had the fear of maybe being associated with her and being known as being the sinner with her. 
So he criticizes Jesus because Jesus was allowing her to touch him. To hold his feet. To let her tears fall on his feet. And to wipe his feet with her hair. So he criticizes her greatly and his attitude was one of this woman is somebody we don't associate with. Because of the kind of sinner she is, I'm not going to let my reputation get soiled by being seen with her. By being touched by her. Why would Simon have had this kind of attitude? It's easy for us to condemn him, but I think that many of us would have the same type of attitude if truth be known. A woman in the attire of a harlot comes up to me and begins talking to me. I become uncomfortable. And I'm afraid somebody's going to see this woman with me and is going to associate me with being one of her customers, being one of her people that she hires or that I would hire. We do much the same way that Simon would have done. And there's reason for that. As I said, the word harlot and harlotry is used many times in the Bible. But the way it is used the majority of the time, and I've counted it at least about 35 times or maybe more times than that, but I've gone through and I've counted 35 times approximately, that those words are used to refer to God's people when they go to idolatry and they start participating in idolatry. It's used as a woman who is married but who goes out and um, participates with other men as, and God says, Israel, when you commit idolatry, that's what you're doing to me. And so it's obvious that that was a very... Um, bad thing to God as he talked about and referred to Israel in this way when they departed from him and began practicing idolatry. We've already mentioned Genesis 38 and I've talked some about the fact that when Judah asked if he could go in to Tamar he uh, openly willing to do it at the time because he thought she's this harlot here on the side of the road and not anybody else around. My servant's with me. We can do this. I can do this. She said, uh, he said, how, what do you want? How much you want? She, and she said, well, what are you going to give me? And he said, a goat, a goat from my flock. I don't have it right now. She said, well, you leave me with your signet and your staff and 
I've forgotten the other item there, but three items that were his. Very important items because this signet was the thing that he authorized spending for himself. It was the thing that showed I'm authorizing this thing to be done. So something is very important. He left the woman, Tamar, went to his flock, got the, the goat, sent it back with his servant. He couldn't find her anywhere. He asked some of the men, Where, where's the harlot that was here by the road? They said, there's no harlot that stays by the road there. Finally, he had to go back to, to Judah. And if you will notice what Judah said, well, let's just let her keep them, lest we be shamed. It was a shame for what Judah had done. And the fact that she had her face covered, I think also says that this was something that the harlot was not wanting to be known when she was practicing this. It was considered a shame by both the man and the woman involved in these things. In Deuteronomy chapter 23, we read further about something that is probably why Simon had the attitude he did toward this woman. Chapter 23 of Deuteronomy, verse 15. You shall not give back to his master the slave who has escaped from his master to you. He may dwell with you in your midst in the place which he chooses within one of your gates where it seems to be best to him. You shall not oppress him. I'll read that for a purpose later, but I'm going to go ahead and read it now in context with this. Verse 17, there shall be no ritual harlot of the daughters of Israel or a perverted one of the sons of Israel. You shall not bring the wages of a harlot or the price of a dog to the house of the Lord your God for any vowed offering, for both of these are an abomination to the Lord your God. God placed the price of a harlot in the same context of the price of a dog. And he said, you're not to bring that into the treasury of the house of Israel. Proverbs chapter 6, verses 23 through 29. Proverbs 6, 23 through 30, or 29. 23 through 29. Apologies here for taking a little time. For the commandment is a lamp... And the law is a light. Reproofs of instruction are the way of life. To keep you from the evil woman, from the flattering tongue of a seductress. Do not lust after her beauty in your heart, 
nor let her allure you with her eyelids. For by means of a harlot, a man is reduced to a crust of bread, and an adulteress will prey upon his precious life. Can a man take fire to his bosom, and his clothes not be burned? Can one walk on hot coals, and his feet not be seared? So is he who goes in to his neighbor's wife. Whoever touches her shall not be innocent. I'm sure that all of these things that we have looked at were probably part of the reason that Simon viewed this woman as he did. And though he may have appeared right in what he was doing, we're going to find that Jesus is going to say he was wrong. Let's talk about the woman just a moment. How did she view herself? How did she view herself? I think it's obvious that if Simon and the rest of society viewed her in the way that they did, she was going to view herself in much the same way. And this can be seen in the fact of the way she was weeping at the feet of Jesus. How many times have you wept to the point that your tears would have been able to wash somebody's feet? You cried that many tears that your tears would wet that person's feet enough that you could wash them with them. Jesus would say she loves much and she loves much because she knows how much she's been forgiven of. Jesus was said to be in the passages earlier in Luke chapter 7 up above where we started reading They referred to Jesus as a friend of tax collectors and sinners. And this woman knew that Jesus was a friend of even a sinner like her. And it stirred her to the point that he would allow her to touch him, to touch his feet, to be at his feet, washing them with her tears. And... Men, we don't have long hair, but the ladies do. Even us men, if we had long hair, I don't think many of us would want to be taking our hair and wiping off the mud and the dirt from somebody's feet. That hair that's going to be close to our body, close to our face, and yet here she is, wiping his feet with her hair. How did she view herself? I think she viewed herself in the same way that everybody else was viewing her. Ezekiel chapter 6 and verse 9, here again is a reference to the people of God and... and, um, 
the way they would look at themselves as they came to a point of realizing um, what they had done in, in their idolatry against God. Let's go back to... Uh, I won't go all the way back because of too many verses there, but let's go back to verse 6. In all your dwelling places, the city shall be laid waste, and the high places shall be desolate, so that your altars may be laid waste and made desolate. Your idols may be broken and made to cease. Your incense altars may be cut down, and your works may be abolished. The slain shall fall in your midst, and you shall know that I am the Lord. Yet I will leave a remnant, so that you may have some who escape the sword among the nations when you are scattered through the countries. Then those of you who escape will remember me among the nations where they are carried captive, because I was crushed by their adulterous heart, which has departed from me. And by their eyes, which play the harlot after their idols, they will loathe themselves for the evils which they committed in all their abominations. He says of the people of Israel, when they come to their senses, they're going to loathe themselves because of what they've done to me. And I think that probably this woman had come to that point as well. pass over some of the things that I have here and I'm going to go to this. Why was she a harlot? If she felt so badly about herself and what she was doing and the way the world viewed her, why was she a harlot? It is true that sometimes women chose that way In Ezekiel chapter 16, verses 31 and 34, again, God is giving a reference to Israel and the way they were doing against him. But he said, you go out and you don't even ask for pay from somebody. You play the harlot. You're like a woman that that plays the harlot and you don't even ask for pay. In a matter of fact, you may pay them. Sometimes there are women who choose to do this. And those women, as a general rule, unless something changes in their lives, do not have the feeling that this woman had. They do not look down on themselves or think badly about themselves because that's what they have chosen. Tamar chose this way. I think the lady of Proverbs 7 chose this way. The daughters of Lot in Genesis 19 chose this way to be with their father. It wasn't something that they had to do that was forced on them, but they chose it. However, the truth of the matter is, In today's world and in 
time throughout, really, most of the time when a person becomes a harlot, it's because they've been forced into that. They've been forced into it. And I think it's important that we come to realize that. Most of them do not choose that life for themselves, but they have been pushed into it. Sometimes they're forced into it because parents force them into it. Something we don't like to think about. We don't, it's, we don't believe, surely, surely a parent's not going to do that. They wouldn't do that. But that's reality. It's the truth. Lot's daughters were going to be forced into it by Lot himself in order to prevent the men of the city from doing what they were going to do to those men who came into the city. In Leviticus 19, verse 29... The children of Israel are being given things concerning their purity. And in verse 29 of Leviticus 19, he wrote, Do not prostitute your daughter to cause her to be a harlot, lest the land fall into harlotry and the land become full of wickedness. He wouldn't tell them not to do that unless it was a probability or possibility that they would do that. That parents would prostitute their daughters. In Joel chapter 3, in verse 3, Joel chapter 3 and verse 3. Joel wrote, They have cast lots for my people, have given a boy as payment for a harlot, and sold a girl for wine that they may drink. It not always comes from a parent pushing their children into this kind of lifestyle, but most often it comes from them being taken by, in the, in the part of a girl, being taken by somebody that she considers her boyfriend. And then he gradually pushes her into this lifestyle. She takes it on and once she has gotten into it, this shame is there, this guilt is there, this feeling that this is who I am and I can't get out of it. So many times they are forced into it and there's what is called a grooming stage by those who traffic young girls and young boys. And in that grooming stage, they abuse that girl or that boy to the point that they're afraid. 
to leave. They're afraid to get away. In researching some of today's issues and problems, one trafficker said, I prefer the young ones. And the average age of a girl or a boy who is lured and and groomed into this lifestyle, this trafficking as a harlot, the average age is 13. And this one trafficker said, I prefer the young ones because after a week of sodomy and gang rape, their eyes go blank and I know they're not going to try to run away. This is the lifestyle of many who are in that life. And we see them and we don't realize or don't think that most of them are in that situation. Most of them want somebody like Jesus who will allow them to touch them and will help them get out of that situation. I don't know the situation of this woman, if she was in that type situation, but it's interesting to me as Jesus says to her, your sins are forgiven you, Most of the time when he did that, he said, go and sin no more. But with this particular woman, he just said, your faith has saved you, go in peace. I've often wondered about and concerned about those who are trapped in this situation. My thoughts of that developed mostly back, I don't know how many years ago it's been, but several of you may remember many years ago uh, in a school, and I can't remember the country either, but there was a school in Africa, and the school was raided by terrorists, And they took a classroom full of young girls and captured them and took them with them. And I knew what was going to happen to those girls, as most of you do. And I couldn't help but think, they can't help this. They're enslaved. It's not their fault. Is God going to hold them accountable for all of the things that happened to them? And they had nothing to do with it. The truth is God would not hold them accountable for that. um, Trying to... I think it is uh, Deuteronomy 22 here, verses 25 through 27. Wanted to look at that. Deuteronomy 22, verses 25 through 27. 
But if a man finds a betrothed young woman in the countryside and the man forces her and lies with her, then only the man who lay with her shall die. But you shall do nothing to the young woman. There is in the young woman no sin deserving of death. For just as when a man rises against his neighbor and kills him, even so is this matter. For he found her in the countryside and the betrothed young woman cried out, but there was no one to save her. I believe that that has reference to this type situation as well. When there's no one to save her, she is not held accountable for that by God, which is reasonable for us to assume and to think that it would be that way. So here we have this woman, loathed by the world, loathes herself, believes herself to be this kind of woman and can't get out of it. She'll never be anything different. But Jesus comes along, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. And she realizes that this man does not look at me like Simon and all the other people that I'm with. This man looks at me different. He knows my heart. He knows that I don't want to be here. I don't want to be in this life. I want something better. And so she sits at his feet, weeping so heavily that her there are enough tears falling from her face to wash his feet. And then she takes her hair and she cleans it. And then she pours a fragrant oil on his feet. And he does not turn her away. He does not reprimand her. He does not talk to her as Simon would have talked to her, it appears anyway, that he would have done. And she finds forgiveness. She finds a way out. She finds that she is not just this person that she thought she was for all of this time. And he says, your sins are forgiven, you go, or your faith has saved you, go in peace. What happened to this woman? Who is she? Do we know? If you will, turn with me to John chapter 11. John chapter 11, verses 1 and 2. Now a certain man was sick, Lazarus of Bethany, the town of Mary and her sister Martha. It was that Mary who anointed the Lord with fragrant oil and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. Before looking at this lady and realizing that this lady was Mary, 
When we talked about Mary and Martha, where do your thoughts go? Mine immediately go to Mary and Martha when Jesus is visiting with them and Lazarus. And Jesus is sitting and teaching and Mary is sitting at his feet, drinking up all of that she can take in from his teaching. Martha says, Lord, won't you make her help me in preparation of this food and getting this done? And Jesus says, no, Mary has chosen that good part, which is most important. I'm not going to take that away from her. We see Mary and Martha, Lazarus, when Lazarus died. And, and uh, Martha goes out to meet Jesus as he's come. And he's, she says, Lord, if you'd been here, my brother wouldn't have died. And then he says the things he does to her. And she goes to get Mary and quietly says something to Mary. And Mary goes out. And because Mary goes out, all of the people are following her, thinking she's going maybe to the grave to grieve. Mary comes to Jesus and says the same thing. Those are the, th- the things that we think about and remember when we think of Mary and Martha. And there's another incident after this. When Lazarus has been raised and um, Jesus has come to the house of those people again. And again, there's another account of Mary washing Jesus' feet and anointing them with oil. Um, In this instance, we're told that it's Mary and some may say, well, how do you know which one of these? Why are you saying that the first one was Mary? I believe it's because in this instance, they knew Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. They were kind of a thing together, those three. And so she is identified very easily there as the one who is... Uh, wiping Jesus' feet with her hair and anointing them with oil. But in the first instance, we're not told who she was. Uh, We're not given that information. I don't know. Jesus, Jesus would have known who she was, but we're not told there that that's who she was. There's not a really a reason in verse 2 of chapter 11 of John to say this is the Mary that washed Jesus' feet with her hair and the fragrant oil. So I think that had reference to the first rather than the second instance. I had wanted to spend a little bit of time talking about our situation today, but I'm just going to end it with this. I hope that now when you see a lady maybe walking the streets, maybe dressed in an inappropriate way, dressed as a harlot, that you won't just look at her as somebody who is offensive to you 
and that you must loathe because of the lifestyle she is living? Because the majority of those have been forced into that lifestyle. They've been forced there and they don't know how to get out. Some try to get out and as one woman said, nobody will hire an ex-prostitute and a a drug user or a, a lady with a drug record. So I can't get work because of the life that I've lived, the past that I have. Nobody will hire me. And so she turns to it again. It could be that that lady you see is looking for somebody who would say to her, is this what you want? Are are you trapped? Do you need help getting out of this? I can help you get out of this. If you want out, I want to help you. And I hope that we would be willing to do that And to offer those people what Jesus offered Mary, which was a chance to love herself, a chance to live a better life than she had ever lived before. Let's be like Jesus and be open to talking to these people and seeing if we can't help them be released from the slavery that they are a part of. Any comments? Okay, thank you for your attention and we'll go ahead and conclude there and uh, Ben should be teaching next week. We hope you have enjoyed this lesson from God's Word. If you would like to continue your study of New Testament Christianity, Please send your name and address to World Bible School, West Huntsville Church of Christ, 1519 Old Monrovia Road, Northwest, Huntsville, Alabama, 35806. Or if you prefer, send your name and address by email to wbs at westhuntsville.org.